Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Business of Freelancing podcast. Today, we'll be discussing sales, marketing, and how you can improve your chances at successful sales through marketing. On today's panel, we have Meg Cumby. Hello. And Mark Reffel. Hello. And Eric Dietrich. Hi, everybody. And I'm Reuven Lerner. So, Eric, you recently published a blog post with the title, Sales 101 for Freelance Devs, Avoiding the Pain You're About to Experience. So tell us what pain you predict people will be experiencing and sort of set us up with how they can avoid that pain. Sure. So, I mean, it's it, it's it, it's a long sequence of pains, I think. And, and I kind of base this on my own experience and just observing a lot of people, the people that write into me with questions. Um, I think it starts like there's a sequence I can imagine happening in my mind. You decide to hang out your shingle and go out into business on your own. One of the first things you do is this form of networking where you go to everybody that you know and say, hey, I'm off on my own now. Um, can you... Uh, you know, enlist me if you need business or recommend me to your friends or whoever. And the post goes into, I won't get into the weeds of it here, but the post goes into what you're really doing there, which is kind of creating this uncompensated affiliate strategy where you're enlisting people, you know, to go do affiliate sales for you. Meaning in theory, you're giving them some kind of commission, but you're really giving them nothing. You're just creating this uncompensated sales workforce and you're calling it networking. Um, The pains kind of come when number one, uh, that's not going to be super effective. Um, people genuinely want to help you at first, but um, that kind of peters out after a bit. And number two, those are going to be badly qualified leads. Meaning if like in, in my world where it's freelance application development, um, you're going to have, you know, your, your aunt or something is going to recommend somebody who needs like a computer specialist. And it's going to be somebody that like wants you to come and fix something with their hard drive. Like it leads to a lot of like friction and inefficiency in your sales pipeline. Um, and then I kind of go through what it's like to say, go to labor brokerage sites like uh, TopTool or Fiverr or Upwork or whatever, and put yourself there. And then you're kind of in these sales conversations or sales processes where you're all competing to be the cheapest. And that's not a lot of fun either. So maybe you start doing warm or cold outreach, which I think everybody probably hates doing cold outreach. So it's just all these different things that I walk through. I think what the typical journey includes and how it goes poorly and all that. And then I round out the post by basically saying sales is um, when you get down to it, it's really kind of like you could model it with a Kanban board and say, you know, you've got leads, um, then you've got qualified leads and then opportunities and closed like a business that you've won. And in each of those steps, you can have a process and you can try to move people along in a way that makes sense for both of you. And the best way to do that is to ensure that you're having conversations only with people that will be a good fit for your business. And so the best way to make sales work, the best way to make sales painless is to ensure that you're bringing qualified leads to you. You're helping prospects find you and self-select based on your ability to help them rather than you kind of doing a pull where you're going out to the world and recruiting business for lack of a better word. So, um, as I understand it, that's the genesis for the topic here. But that was the blog post is like, hey, uh, I'm going to write all about sales, how it works, and then dot, dot, dot. I'm going to later talk about marketing, uh, which, you know, uh, at the risk of tipping my hand is the strategy for bringing leads to you. 
So I think one of the things that really sticks out in the blog post is um, sort of the the number, the, the stark numbers that if you start doing lots of outreach, warm outreach, cold outreach, talking to people, that even from among those qualified leads, the number of people that you're going to get who are really going to engage with you and really going to hire you is small. And I think if I had known that back when I started, I would have been really surprised or upset. Um, now I recognize, okay, like it's a big world out there. Um, but part part of the, the post seems aimed at increasing your odds, like improving the odds that given your effort, um, the maximum percentage of people you reach or that, you know, hear about you are going to be indeed be qualified leads and are more likely to reach you and then not waste your time. Like best ROI, I guess the way to summarize is like get a good ROI in your time investment. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, writing about this was kind of um, modeled on some sales work that we've been doing with hit subscribe. We had experimented with some cold outreach to well-qualified prospects. Like uh, we basically identified companies who could definitively use our help and that we thought would be uh, well qualified. And even in those scenarios, when you're doing cold outreach, uh, the conversion rate on that is atrocious. Like if you're listening and you're doing cold outreach, like you'd be lucky to get 1% on a sales call. Lucky. Like that's a great, you know, you're um, when doing cold outreach, you start celebrating whether, you know, somebody writes back and just tells you to get lost and you're like, hey, they responded. Like that's a win. <laughs> And so we've learned a lot about like the poor odds and kind of what tips those odds in your favor. Like for instance, if you're doing cold outreach to a well-qualified prospect that you could help and they're having a bad week or they're just not thinking about that right now, you, you know, it's over, you're, you're done. And so, yeah, absolutely. Um, when I say we've run an experiment with cold outreach, that's not really normally the way that we acquire business. Um, and when you're doing cold outreach and you're qualifying prospects, that has a bad conversion percentage, but even like warm outreach or even, even honestly inbound prospects can have pretty bad conversion percentages. So you think of sales as like this funnel where each step, some percentage of people will move on to the next step. And there's like four steps there. And yeah, you really, if you do enough of it, you can start to quantify what your percentage of conversions at each step is and then start to tune that. And so for me, prospect generation and bringing in prospects is really about, it's almost like you're reverse engineering the sales call. Like what would make for the easiest possible sales call? Somebody coming to you and saying, I badly need your help right now. And then, so how do you create that situation? I think what you like said, it, it's exactly like, even if you were reaching out to people that you'd be a great fit with, the chances of you reaching out when exactly when they need you, <laughs> is so darn small. And I, I think too, just reaching out like, and say like, I, I've been on the receiving end of a couple of like cold pitches and ones that were trying not to look like cold pitch, like look like they were trying to start a relationship, but they jumped to the, well, if you're looking to work together after like two interactions or something like that, I'm like, Oh, it just puts the, tr I'm like, oh, so you're not looking to connect and actually figure it out. Like you're just looking to get to the next step of the sale, which makes me not trust, you know, that this, is, that you've got my best interests at heart and they might have my best interests there, but it's just, a, it's never, it's, it's the likelihood of finding out that match is so damn small uh, when you're doing the cold outreach, as opposed to if I find you 
through something you've written or like marketing, and I'm sure we're going to talk more about this, like it's, and then reach out to you. Well, then it's the other way around. <laughs> so I, I don't know what it is. Maybe other people are experiencing this with the economic downturn, the pandemic, but I don't know. I get 10 pitches a day through LinkedIn and, and it's like so saturated. So even if, even if somebody really could help me, it's so overwhelming that I don't respond to it. And um, I was just thinking what you were saying with, um, with the idea of like, oh, I want to start a conversation. Now, if I get somebody to send me a connection request and, or, or I accept it or something, and the first thing they do is like, so what's going on with your business? I almost find that worse than somebody who just sends me a pitch because like, I know you're going to waste my time and then make a pitch instead of just making the pitch. Exactly. <laughs> or the ones that wrap it up that I'd love to see how we could partner together. Like, and they, they seem like they might be a fit for my services. Oh my God. <laughs> and I'm like, they make it, oh, they the make reversal. it look like they're going to hire me. <laughs> like, and I'm like, oh yeah, sure. And I'm like, oh no, that's, you're looking to sell to me. I get you. Okay. Uh, I'm glad I got on a half hour with a call with you and just like, no. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah. So, I mean, like for anyone listening, this is the kind of thing you're up against with cold outreach I mean, warm outreach is a different thing because that by definition is people, you know, so they're going to be polite, but like that style of going out to get business labor brokerages, outreach, um, some of the things you might do advertising, like these can be, they're, they're pretty frictional. So you can get more people into your sales pipeline with these strategies, or at least get them on your Kanban board or whatever. But the rate at which good things happen later on in the process, like conversions and them being a good customer is a lot lower than if you have business that's coming to you and saying, I need your help. Uh, that not only is a lot less work for you, but it tees up a strong negotiating position and you know what'll tend to be a more productive relationship than if you've answered some RFP and won by quoting a lower rate than five other people and establishing yourself as the cheapest who really needs the business that usually doesn't kick things off to as promising a start. So I think there is a strong motivation to get business to come to you. And now, if only it were that simple, I recognize that it isn't. <laughs> it's super interesting because I've never done cold outreach. So all my, all my businesses come from referrals and referrals and uh, warm and like very hot, if not just warm, because they're coming from people who I've already worked with. Um, if I were to start, I mean, ideally, if I already have warm referrals, I wouldn't need to sort of start reaching out to cold referrals unless I was completely switching demographics. But if I were to start, and for anyone out there trying, going and reaching out to people in like a cold outreach situation, is there a flow that you've seen that works a little bit better than others. I know we've sort of mentioned like what not to do, like don't monopolize people's time and then just switch it on them. Um, and also not, don't come out of the gate with a pitch. So where's like the happy medium of kind of respecting their time, but also not going in and asking for the sale right away. Um, in my opinion, so just full disclosure, cold outreach, whether it's through hit subscribe, uh, that was kind of an experiment we were running that um, I, I don't think proved to be worth our time. We do much better with inbound business. Um, so we're shifting focus on that. It was just something we were trying. Um, whether it's, and then through my management consulting over the years and freelancing, I never, I was the same. It was all uh, referral word of mouth uh, inbound. 
Um, so I don't personally have a great sense of what works and what didn't. We did document kind of what got better open rates. Um, and the thing that we found was at least open rates or people responding in some way that wasn't, you know, get lost. It was like, oh, I appreciate this, but no thanks. It was always when we were doing something like um, leading with some kind of value. So for instance, um, recently GitHub changed their official terminology for any of you out there in software development from uh, master uh, repo. Um, I forget what they're using now, but we main, I think main. So what we did was um, we built a little bit an internal utility that we already have something that goes and checks for outdated content in various forms. And we added something to it to go check for, uh, these terms that were being deprecated. And then we sent pieces of outreach to say, Hey, uh, this is something we do for our clients, but we're, you know, testing it out. We're running it on, um, you know, prospect sites. Uh, by the way, you have a bunch of pages here that all have this term master on them. You might want to switch. And then, you know, this is what we do, who we are, et cetera. And that got a pretty positive response. So, I mean, number one, I guess if I were going to give advice, it'd be lead with value as much as you can. And number two, don't don't be disingenuous about what you're doing. So like if I were writing pieces of outreach, I'd say, listen, I would love to have your business. Like, you know, my goal here is to grow our business, but here's this thing we found. So like, you know, you're, you're welcome to it in the results. If you want to get on a sales call and all that, great. Uh, if not, I understand. So those would be my pieces of advice is try to add value in every communication somehow or another. And don't try to pretend you're not trying to sell them. I mean, you're not doing this cold outreach because it's I, I can tell you, I tried, I guess it was about, well, many years ago, I tried doing cold outreach and it was an abysmal failure, like absolutely completely terrible <laughs> and turned me off to ever trying again till about a year, year and a half ago when I said, you know what, I'll try. I was working with a coach on these sorts of things. And like, he was like, yeah, this looks great. This looks great. And I just sent it. And, you know, again and again, I was using uh, um, the lead navigator and LinkedIn to find the right people. And basically nothing, nothing at all. And what what I heard was basically what what Eric confirmed in his article and you guys speaking now as well, which is you need to follow up tons of times. You need to send lots of mail. It becomes a huge time sink to make it effective. And at a certain point, I just threw up my hands and said, forget it. I actually recently decided maybe I'd play with it again um just sort of see if i could tweak it a little more and you know use the advice that i've heard here and there i actually started listening a little bit to the cold email outreach podcast which is about this and i keep thinking all right like are their suggestions really that different from what i was doing maybe maybe not it seems like super super subtle tweaking combined with lots of time lots of email lots of follow-up and uh, I've yet to decide whether it's, I mean, I guess I've decided I'm going to give it a shot, but I would not be surprised if within a few weeks of trying it, I just give up because it is so time and energy intensive. And then, you know, you start to, and I think I remember talking about this in the post, you start to believe it or not, somebody listening out there, you start to understand the spammers that send, you know, uh, with the wildcard placeholders left in place, like, you know, dear prospect or whatever, <laughs> you start to understand that because you spend countless hours crafting these messages and saying like, oh, I'm not going to be like a spammer. I'm going to send this personalized message. And you spend hours and hours sending hundreds of these and you never hear back. And then you're like, 
you know, this isn't really worthwhile. Unless I were to somehow really automate it and just be able to blast out thousands of them in five minutes. And then you're thinking, oh, man, what did I just You've invented spam. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The path of the spam dark side. I mean, not only is it like super time intensive, but I'm just thinking, I'm having flashbacks to my first summer job uh, in college of being a telemarketer and and just the feeling of rejection day after day after day of being, uh, I think out of 160 pickups, I was expected to make six sales. (laughs) Being told no 160 times a day. (laughs) And so I mean, doing the same with a business that I actually care about as opposed to some <laughs> telephone company. <laughs> like- well, so here's like a depressing thing too. And, you know, hopefully this doesn't apply to those of you listening, but like if you're a freelancer and you're getting to the point of doing cold outreach, a lot of times you're not doing that from a good place. Like you're backed into a corner and you're doing that because you're just not having lead gen success in other places. And in a sense, that's almost the worst time to be doing it because you're like desperate and that's what puts you there. And it's not a great strategy. I mean, it's a number strategy. If you send out a thousand pieces, you'll probably get a piece of business, but probably not less than a thousand, I would guess. Um, so that really kind of speaks to what I was trying to leave off with in the post, which is there is a lot of pain in these types of approaches. If you're bringing leads to you, if leads are seeking you out, it's so much better. I mean, not just from like a time perspective, but like you're going to have better sales calls and all that, but a morale perspective too. Uh, It's not this depressing. I I can't even imagine being a telemarketer. Like that's got to be a real life experience for you. Just hearing no all day, every day (laughs) and probably like hostility, right? Like were, were people angry all the time? Oh, terribly. And I'm really nice on the phone, but they still didn't like me. <laughs> I spent two hours on the phone in college yeah. doing fundraising uh, for Hillel for the Jewish group and like th- with alumni. And that turned me off to doing that sort of thing forever. It was very, very rough. And again, these were like alumni who liked us, who were members and like still no one wants to get these sorts of calls. Um, I'll, I'll add, by the way, like, Eric, in the article, you had mentioned like going through middlemen. Um, and I don't think that's necessarily like, it might not be a career expanding strategy. Like it might not be the best way to go forever, but a place like TopTal, I definitely know of people who have worked with them for a while. It's basically like working for an agency where they more or less provide you with steady work. You're never going to get rich off of it. You're never going to have your own independent branding based on it, but it's not a bad way to go. Um, I mean, I can tell you also, I actually spoke to TopTal a few years ago and I interviewed with them just to sort of see what it was like. And their interview process was weird and brutal. And I did not make it through there. Um, like ask me all sorts of things about like super tiny algorithmic stuff that I don't care about. Um, but I do know people who have been pretty happy working that way. I don't see it as my career move. And I don't think it's what most people who become freelancers want to do eventually. But it's not a bad thing to have in your back pocket when times get slow to have someone sort of putting out feelers for you. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, I don't remember exactly what I was going into. I think um, in the post I talked about a recruitment model and um, those types of brokerage sites and using that as your sales funnel. And the thing that I would say there is if you're looking to create and grow a business, 
you're essentially outsourcing your whole sales process. And um, the nice thing about that is you give it to them and it's low effort. I mean, they just kind of bring people who are interested in you and then you answer an RFP. Uh, the tough thing about that is, well, I would say it's multifaceted, but um, it's going to make your sales calls kind of different. They're more like job interviews than sales calls. And so when you win that business, you're usually going to get negotiated down on rate. Uh, the brokerage site's taking a cut. And then that client is probably going to view you as a staff augmentation rather than a partner. So it kind of comes with all those downsides, but I mean, it's better than not being able to pay the rent. So yeah, that's true. And it does bring you potential warm business. Mm -hmm. That brings up a good point with those kind of sites too. I wonder if we were to think about what the top um, four to five ways of getting clients are, and if we could sort of for the audience, and this might change person to person, but kind of rank them like ideally these are your best kind and then something that I imagine would be close to like cold calls would be close to the bottom. Um, yeah. So if I was to take my first shot at kind of ranking them, I would think that uh, like direct referrals from people that you're, that you've worked with directly um, and then sort of removed referrals. So like people that have maybe not, maybe don't know anyone that's worked for you directly, but are aware of your reputation and then um, like these sort of agency sites and then cold calls. But I'm wondering if there's anything sort of in the middle that I'm missing as well. Well, I would throw content marketing in there um, in whatever form it comes, probably somewhere below a direct, like very warm referral. And this is, you know, just thinking through the, the data that I have. Warm referral is absolutely the best. Um, indirect or um that might be on par with content marketing because I've had great luck with content marketing over the years. Um, when I used to have this niche management consulting practice that was based around standard code analysis, you know, I would give um, sometimes talks at user groups or I would write a lot of blog posts, sometimes on static analysis tool sites about pretty niche topics. And that would result in a lot of business that would be like, hey, I read this study you did about X. We're having this problem at our business. And um, can you help us? And the reason that I'm putting that so high up there, so there's nothing better than the referral because um, that's the same, like you have an actual human that's saying, hey, Eric can really help you. So it's kind of the one-two punch. The content marketing is nobody's telling them that, but they can kind of see it for themselves. So uh, I think that exists, but the gotcha with content marketing is that you almost can't do it as a generalist or it's really hard as a generalist. You need kind of a specific thing that you're selling. I mean, you know, I'm open to being wrong on that, but I just, I run a content marketing business and do content marketing strategy. And I don't know how I would content market a generalist practice, but yeah. So uh, not to get too far off the rails, because that's what the one I would inject in there between any form of active reach is this content. I, I would add one more thing in there and I'm adding in because I'm trying it now. Um, and I have no idea how it's going to go. So uh, you guys know I, I, well, at least before the pandemic, I used to go to China a bunch of times a year. And when I was going there, I was going through a training company. And so they were doing the sort of, you know, taking a cut. And so I told them in a mark of genius timing on November 1st of last year, I'm setting up my own Chinese company. I don't need you guys anymore. So long. 
<laughs> okay, perhaps uh, time could have been better. Regardless, um, I'm now back on track to set up this Chinese company of mine, and I'm going to try two things to get sales for. And basically, it's just like me represented in China, um, selling my online courses and then in person as well. And one of them is going to be I'm going to hire a manager there of my Chinese company whose job will be to do cold outreach and to take warm leads that I get from the like for lack of a better term, an incubator that I'm working with um, that will take these leads cold and warm and then work with them. The other thing is earlier today, I agreed uh, with some people who have a lot of contacts there to provide me with warm leads. So this is like having someone on staff working with cold and warm leads that they're not spending my time, they're spending my money and their time to hopefully get over that hurdle of cold outreach and being a time sink. How well this will work? Time will tell. I really have no idea, um, but I, I I hope this like mixed strategy will will uh, pay off in some way. So there's something I would say crucial there. Like I think that's a good strategy that I'd personally put a little bit above executing your own code outreach. I don't know if I would put it above content marketing if we're ranking them, but what, so putting my management consulting hat back on. Um, if you are having somebody else that is perceived as, as, you know, a subordinate, like an employee, if you will, executing outreach, well, you have a sales organization. So when you get on the call, the fact that you have somebody, you know, doing demand generation of a form, uh, you're supposed to have that in a business. So you get this subtle but important um, power dynamic thing that happens. If you're executing your own cold outreach, you are perceived as desperate. If your employee is executing cold outreach, you're the CEO and sales is doing what sales does. And um, so it's not quite the same as if they're coming and seeking you out. But when they're talking to you, it doesn't seem quite as, I don't know what the word is, uh, I guess, needful. Uh, so I think that if you're going to execute a cold outreach strategy and, and you have some budget, you know, getting a VA or something to do that is probably worth doing. That's interesting. Out of curiosity, Ruben, and I don't need exact numbers, but are you, would they get paid a set rate or would they take a commission on the sales that come in? So um, the employee that I'm probably going to be hiring, I actually told the incubator, like I spoke to them a little bit about, they, they said, well, if you want to hire someone, we can help you find someone. I said, great. What's the salary? Um, and they told me probably I could expect to spend about a thousand to $1,500 a month on salary to have someone mid-level or semi-senior. I was like, done, <laughs> totally do that. Uh, cause basically if I pay that for a few months, either it'll pay off or it won't. And it'll be pretty clear, pretty quickly with the, like the outreach company or the lead company that I spoke to today, what they want is the equivalent of like $300 a month in terms of a retainer. Um, to make all these introductions, and then a 5% commission on whatever leads they bring me. And I, I figured that's mostly fair. I just asked them when I emailed them back today, um, I said, can we limit that to two years? I don't want to be spending like 5% ad infinitum. Um, and assuming it takes, let's say, up to a year for a deal to actually happen. So a year to two years of paying them off for that, I think seems reasonable. You know, there's another one that occurs to me because we might be doing that. Um, Somewhere I would think above the outreach, below any of the marketing-oriented tactics is just paid advertising. Um, I don't. It's weird to think like, is that really getting prospects to come to you? But I think in a sense it is. You know, you go through LinkedIn advertising, Facebook ads, display ads, whatever it may be, bring them to a landing page, and then if they're interested, they've clicked, and then they're reaching out to you. Um, 
we haven't really done any of that yet. I don't think I'm trying to think back. Um, but it is, you know, it's another thing that if you're operationalizing what you're doing and you're kind of working towards, um, you know, having an established presence, that's something that, um, clients will expect, you know, businesses advertise. So I think that's another way of doing it. It's expensive, but not. Have any of you successfully done advertising before? Because I've tried it and it's had very, very mixed results. No, I haven't historically, although I think that's part of Hit Subscribe's 2021 plan. Um, And full disclosure, one of the things I'm looking to do right now is um, towards the end of the year, bring out a full-time sales staff. So that'll probably fall in that department. I I think it could work because what we've learned is um, for our business, content marketing for developer tools companies, they all need it like sooner or later. It's really a question of just being top of mind when they decide they need it. And so for things like that, advertising and even like the right kind of like hello outreach that isn't trying to make a sale, it's almost like, hey, I know you're going to need this sooner or later. And I just want you to think of us when you do. So I haven't personally made it work, but I think that visibility and mindshare is really what it gets you. Uh, For a freelance business, I don't think that's as easy to execute. Like if you're doing freelance web development or something, you know, I I can't speak for anyone else, but like people from like offshore firms or whatever, reach out to me like six times a day saying, Hey, if you ever need freelance app dev, so that might be tougher. But if you have something that's a little more niche, I think advertising, not even just for the direct sale, but so they know who you are can be effective. Yeah. I've never used it for like high touch services, but I do have an ongoing ad per day on, um, I think it can be really effective on products, maybe more so than services. So I have an Etsy shop that has like, um, like website terms and conditions, shop policy, uh, privacy policy that like I put together with my lawyers. So people can go on and purchase those. And uh, Etsy has an advertising program. So for $5 a day, which is pretty totally reasonable, uh, basically you get kind of bumped to the top of those search listings and there's not a huge competition for those. So there was, there's stuff like that. Like it's low, it's low effort. And as long as the, the amount that I'm spending, uh, I mean, after it's initially made, I don't have to touch it. So after it's already done, I spend a really low amount of money. And if I can sell two or three per day, then it's one of those like set it and forget it situations. And I think ads have worked well for that. Um, I don't know. I've never used them for like high touch services. So I think that might be a different story. Yeah, I agree. I can't imagine advertising services. I've tried advertising products like my info products and courses that has not really gone over so well. Um, and it might just be because I'm bad at the advertising thing. Um, what I found worked well was advertising free email courses and then having them come signing up. And then after the email course, they're dumped into my mailing list. And basically after a few weeks or months of being on my list and saying, wow, this is good quality. This is what I'm looking for. Then they sign up for a course, but it's a, it's a long play. Um, and it, moreover, Facebook has these things called lead ads where it can be like, you click on it in the, and Facebook basically takes the form information, name, email address, country, whatever, and sends it directly to, in my case, drip and signs them up to your mailing list. So I found that was incredibly effective at getting subscribers, but they were completely disinterested subscribers. They never actually pay attention to the mailing list. Whereas if I had the ad take them to a page about my mailing list, 
or the the or the freebie and there they signed up many fewer actually signed up but they were more engaged and they then did actually pay so as i said it has to be a long game and i'm i was actually thinking recently also of oh maybe i'll play with advertising again see if i can get it to work because people do get it to work but it just hasn't worked for me so far so you know what's interesting to me about what you just said there it's a distinction i'd probably like to call out for people listening is when i'm talking about content marketing uh, I think at least if it's like me five or six years ago, I think of content marketing as, oh, you create blog posts or maybe YouTube videos or what have you. So you create this content and people consume it and that's your marketing. But Reuven, what you just described, you know, is just another flavor of content marketing that people might not think of in those terms where you do something that gets you contact information for a person and then you do what's called lead nurture, which is, so if, if somebody willingly gives you their contact information, um, usually you would call that a lead. It's somebody who's interested enough in you to trust you with that. And then there's this form of content that you create where you're not trying to sell them stuff. I mean, you're eventually trying to sell them stuff you'd like to, but you're continuing to drip out content. And so whether that content is just blog posts and they follow you on your site or follow you on social media, or if it's that they signed up for some free email course and then you keep them warm as a lead over the years, all of that falls under content marketing. And it's all really, when you get down to it, about providing value in exchange for staying top of mind. Like it all goes after, I want you to think of me when you have a need. And I recognize that that might not be right now, but when you have that need, I hope you'll... That's right. I I woke up this morning and much to my great pleasant surprise, I found that someone had bought like five of my courses. It's like, wow, what is going on? So I said, maybe he just like discovered my blog or my YouTube channel or my mailing list or something. No, he's been on my list for years. He bought something from me like three years ago. And I guess for whatever reason, he decided, okay, now I have I have cash, I have the interest, I have the need. And so I was the place that he went to to, to buy from. And then it's also a numbers game. Like the more people you, ha- people you have, the more likely it is that someone's going to buy. And then, you know, just keep increasing sales like that. You, you know what else? Um, this is going to sound like the most obtuse thing ever, but it's a joke uh, I've told, but like a serious joke. A lot of getting business is just staying in business long enough to, for people to figure out they have a need. Like, <laughs> I, I can't tell you how many, you, you know, clients for blogging or whatever, you know, from years ago, just reach back out and they're like, hey, are you still a thing? Like, I have a need now. So like, even if you just like let everyone know what you're doing and you're discouraged because it's like six months in and nobody's calling you, like sooner or later, someone will. Someone two, three years down the line will be like, oh, right, doesn't this person do X? Like, hey, are you still doing that? And so I think a lot of business is just surviving so that you're around <laughs> when they have that So need. it's funny you say that. I There's a company in Tel Aviv where I did some courses for them. I see now four and a half years ago. And every year or so, I would email the training manager and say, hey, just like you need eight Python courses. No, okay, that's fine. That's fine. Two days ago, she calls me and says, we need courses desperately. Now, what can you do? <laughs> really? Really? So you never know. You never know where it's going to come from. And keeping those leads warm, it, it turns out, pays off. Thinking too, just uh, taking a different angle on that, like the doing, like, you know, when you talk about doing content marketing and especially like if you're like me and you don't have a audience of your own that's large yet um, or at all, you know, um, then, um, you know, that whole idea of, you know, borrowing other people's audiences appearing on, on other people's podcasts, 
writing a guest article, even if you don't get something right away, like, you know, you might think, oh, I've got nothing from it. You know, I still get people clicking through my site from a podcast I did back in, I don't know what it was, 2017, 2018, like it'll still pop up The people are still finding it, that content is still there. And it's there for people to find it when they're ready. So if they're searching, how do I get testimonials? <laughs> that doesn't go away unless somebody, unless the other person deletes it. It's not going away anywhere. It's still out there working for you after you've done it. So again, yeah, it's that, that's what we've been talking about, like, you know, making it yourself so that you can be discoverable when they're ready to discover you. And thought of the angle of, um, guest appearances, another flavor of content marketing, but, you know, so there's a lot of, you know, for anyone listening, there's a lot of content marketing ground and plays you can cover. If I were going to roll up content marketing in general, it's basically like putting yourself out there with some sort of focused expertise and just try to make yourself as ubiquitous as possible. And in a way that doesn't seem scummy, for lack of a better way of putting, like share your opinions, but not, uh, resign yourself to the fact that you may go on a podcast and talk about something you're an expert in and it will provide no leads. Uh, that's possible. If you're willing to do it anyway, you're kind of, your heart's in the right place. Like go share your knowledge and expertise. I promise you on a long timeline, it will pay off, but do it without the expectation. Like don't, don't go in and say, all right, I'm going to go on this podcast and then get five leads because people will sense that you will seem off putting. So it's about having this expertise, making it ubiquitous in public but being genuine about like you're actually helping people with this content. If if they if they listened to nothing else or looked at nothing else or never contacted you again, they have something valuable that they've walked away with, and their life is better for having spent their twenty five minutes, thirty minutes, forty minutes of listening to you. Um, that they've got something to yeah. I I, I absolutely you should <laughs> there you can sort of tell if somebody's going in with the and if you want to learn more pay for this thing. Like, you know, it's, it's let them <laughs> take that next step if that's what they need. But with that, I mean, still you can mention those things, but like the intent should not be selling the thing. It should be providing value and building the trust so that, that if they do need more, they seek out what you have to other, have to offer. That's maybe not free or other things you have free or either way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I can also say like a hundred percent from a, customer because we even though we're talking about clients like we're all still customers of someone else in different capacities so when I try to think about my experiences of finding experts I go to where I've seen those experts before and sometimes that was like a year ago sometimes I'm like oh I need help with this but I remember I saw on this YouTube video or I listened to here and this was the person so I'll go back and look for it to find that person so don't underestimate like how you can position yourself over sort of the long tail as well. Cause I know myself, I, I, that's how I seek people out as well. I don't know if this will seem like at a left field or one of my really good channels of connecting with people like great clients that, you know, we work really well together was, um, meeting people at conferences <laughs> and that's really not an available chat, like, you know, meeting people in person and with the intention of going there just to connect with other, you know, business people, like, and the intention of just leveling up our businesses. Um, and it just so happened that there was a fit to work together, like, you know, and the, like to, as you get talking, um, 
I'm wondering what the replacement for that sort of <laughs> channel would be like making those relationships and connections without that like serendipitous meeting that we can't have necessarily right now during mm. pandemic the, times. <laughs> so for me, um, I've discovered some community slacks like there's a slack I'm in for content marketers. And even though a lot of the folks in there would theoretically be hit subscribes clients, I, I don't go in there and try to sell them anything. It's for me a way to learn um, kind of what interests my buyers and then to exchange, you know, ideas to learn things, et cetera. And so I feel like there's a pretty strong analog between that and going to a conference where it might be a mix of people who are either competitors or peers or customers, and you're kind of all there together operating in good faith. Um, so Slack and Facebook groups to some extent is another one in the sort of virtual either these days. Um, by the way, I think that's a great point. Like in, in the theme of the episode, how can I help prospects find me on their own? Go where they hang out, uh, talk to them, listen to them like human beings. Don't go there and pitch them stuff. <laughs> uh, your, your suggestions are, good and better than nothing and i don't have anything better to suggest but it feels like there's nothing that replaces good old just like bumping into people having lunch with them at a conference oh you're from where um that that i just don't see even with all these online virtual conference software systems that have been unveiled in the last six eight months none of them are really that impressive um unless they want to sponsor our show in which case they're great uh. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I mean, I agree. Like it, it's not, you know, having been in that, like it, it's, I've also got, you know, um, started up relationships with uh, people that became clients, like in like that sort of virtual community. And yeah, it's, it's, it's not a replacement for, but it definitely, you know, it's, it's exactly, I think Eric, you put that beautifully, like, you know, like go hang out, listen, you know, be available to answer questions. Don't, you know, just put, you know, and like if somebody's looking for what you're, that often people will mention what they're looking for and like somebody else might say, oh, by the way, Eric, he does this, like, you know, and tag you. And it's, it's, that's probably more likely to happen if you are part of that community and helping out. But yeah. I'm going to be looking forward to the one day when we can have conferences again and connect with people face to face again. That'll be, that'll be nice. So given all of these options, right? Like, so someone who's relatively new, where is the biggest bang for their buck? Like where should they, given all these different options for content marketing, what one or maybe even two things should they concentrate on to try to sort of get the ball rolling? I think personally, the referrals, so like the lowest hanging of fruit is if you've had past success, whether it's with like employers, coworkers, former clients, et cetera, um, you know, asking them for referrals. And this, by the way, is not my area of expertise. So, uh, but asking for referrals uh, and getting those warm referrals is a great thing to do. Um, would get my vote. The thing with content marketing is, um, to get started there, you kind of have to pick an area of content focus, which I would encourage anyone to do. But content marketing, if you're a generalist and you're not sure how you're going to play, it can be a little like boiling the ocean-ish. Um, so my suggestion would be to rely on that referral, asking for testimonials, that type of stuff, while formulating a plan, like who are you going to sell what to with content marketing? That's my take anyway. 
Yeah, I would agree that those two going hand in hand for sure was probably the best route for sure referrals. And I'm sure the next question for some freelancers is like, well, if I don't have projects, who's going to refer me to other people? Um, And I think the answer to that, which a lot of people would say is, well, like hit up friends and family. And I, I know that's one of the biggest things that people say. I don't know if my opinion is popular or unpopular about this, but I would say, avoid working with close friends at fan and family at all costs really i know that is a lot of times the first step that people that people tell you to do but i would make it's harder to go outside of outside of your inner circle but i would make a concerted effort um to do that because things can get quite messy especially with with close friends and family i would say as the first few steps is see the people who can be a really complementary skill set. So if you are a developer, seek out designers, like seek out amazing designers that you can work with. If you are, um, again, I'm just talking from my experience as a developer as well, but if you're a developer, there's always entrepreneurs who are moving on to sort of the next iteration of their business, which is a lot of the times creating online courses, productized services, things like that. Seek out those people who are really evolving because they need people to pass their clients off to that they like and trust and know. So those two things have been my biggest winners. Um, I would say go, go the route of those two before going to friends and family. That's my unpopular opinion, but I've definitely seen things go um, with teaching a lot of freelance developers. I've I've seen the biggest conflicts and the biggest mismatch of value come in when you're working with friends and family. Yeah. I can't imagine asking friends or family to like help me draw a business. It, it, it feels very weird. I, I, I agree with you. I like, I know a lot of people talk about it. I know a lot of people like suggest it, and I, I, I can't imagine it. Yeah, I don't know if I have anything. Like, I think those are the good places to start. I mean, maybe past colleagues, you know, um, would be a good spot to, you know, if you've been in your profession at all for any amount of time, you probably don't have no contacts. I think I said that right. I think I did that. <laughs> I might have done a double negative there. <laughs> but, you know, um, starting, yeah, if you're just starting out, you know, you, you, there's there's probably some reputation you can pull from to, you know, get some referrals for that for those first few projects. And definitely, I, I've also had experience with referrals with people who are in a different field who are serving similar customers like you know, connect with those people, ask, ask them how you can refer, you know, who you can refer to them, you know, and, and, um, or, or some other reciprocal, um, thing you could do for them. Like, so it's not just asking, you know, can you do this thing for me? Um, yeah, I agree on the, on the content marketing. I mean, you need something to hook it on to. And I, I, th- I think we come back to niching down a lot, but uh, and it's not something you have to do right away. I didn't go right from generalist communications to case studies and testimonials experts. Like it's something I slowly flipped a switch over three years um, on. But I all my content marketing, if you could, you know, podcast appearances, uh, chatting with people, I focused it on that new service offering so that I could slowly move over to that. Right. I definitely uh, think that the more you have a clear niche, um, 
the easier it is for people to understand, like, are you an appropriate fit for them? Do they want to talk to you? Like, people become more self-selecting in terms of leads. Um, and it becomes just clearer to say your message of what you do. I mean, the when people would ask me what I did, I would give these long, long answers because I had to describe all the different things that I was doing. And now I can just say, I teach Python. Oh, it's easy, right? And now it's, okay, that's, you know, that's interesting, let's talk, or... That's or that's not interesting. Let's talk. But like that, that's interesting and not for us. And we can make a quick, you know, go no go sort of decision. And it's mutual as well. Um, and also it means that now, okay, I know what I want to write my blog posts about. I know what I want to do my YouTube videos about. I know what I want to develop in terms of additional knowledge. It, it, it it's good for me and it's good for my potential clients as well. What I think of um, when I describe marketing you know, especially working in the content marketing business, hit subscribe. Uh, we sell things to developer tools companies like full stop. So if you want content for a developer tools company, that's what we do. Otherwise, not so much. Um, it makes the sales conversation focused. Like good marketing is really kind of about um, establishing a position. And um, I think of it as like it, helping your customers, your prospective customers understand when you would be a good fit, but critically also helping bad prospective customers uh, understand that they wouldn't be a good fit. And the reason I'm saying all that is to kind of work back to the genesis of this, the sales conversation is when you have stuff out there, when you have a presence out there and a way of articulating what you do very specifically, um, it makes everything so much easier when the sales conversation happens because you can disqualify all kinds of bad fits right up front and allow good fits to qualify. So really, when you get on the sales call, there isn't a lot of dancing. They know what you do. Um, they have a pretty good idea, maybe even of what your price is. Can you help them? And then so it's just kind of you almost have this conceptual agreement going in. And you're just talking particulars and like for anybody out there listening that really doesn't like sales, um, getting prospects to come to you, good marketing, good lead generation, uh, really takes a, a lot of the most horrible aspects out of the sales process. So Meg, got any picks for us this week? Yeah, I think I'm going to uh, recommend um, Keith Perhack's new book, um, the 90 minute guide to building marketing funnels that convert, uh, since we're on the topic of, um, content marketing. Um, it's really just no cruft, simple advice. If you have any marketing funnels or built any marketing funnels, run any of them. Um, then I would say that, uh, this book's got a bunch of practical, uh, advice on how to improve what works, you know, and what doesn't and why, um, that like, and the 90 minute guide is a perfect name. It that's exactly how long it takes to, to read it. And I've, I, I've underlined the crap out of it for when I built a marketing funnel so I can refer back to it. Um, yeah. So, uh, that, uh, it's available in ebook and, um, paperback. Excellent. Amazing. Mark, got anything for us? I honestly have no idea. No. Um, <laughs> Quick, look around the room. <laughs> uh, that's what I'm trying to do. Oh, my God. I think you're allowed to not have a yeah, pick for the week, I, right? I, I, I've skipped before. <laughs> okay. I'm going to skip. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, <laughs> to use my, use my pass. i like to call a friend. Uh, <laughs> uh, Eric, got anything for us this week? 
Sure. Uh, I, I will double up on self-promotion, I guess, since, uh, first of all, the, the blog post series um, that I wrote, which is called The Business of Freelancing. So that'll be easy to remember. Um, I'll include a link to that uh, just because that was, uh, you know, a part of what um, inspired the discussion here. So it isn't just that post about sales. I've been doing this kind of like lengthy series of posts aimed at freelancers, kind of uh, a broad range of topics, but like reasoning about business profit, um, sales is part of it. Uh, just a lot of different things that I wish I had known when I started out that I've learned as a business owner. And uh, the other one is if you're in the app dev space and you're interested in writing for hit subscribe, we are going to be opening up the author roles again. Um, I think it's relevant here, especially if you're kind of freelancing as a software engineer um, and thinking about content marketing, number one, you'll learn about content marketing, but number two, we're getting um, author bylines about topics that you choose. So if you want to write about something out there in a particular tech stack or um, you want something like that, you do get bylines on, you know, sometimes prominent even developer tools companies. So that's a nice way to get your name out there. And we do, of course, pay you. Uh, so um, I'll give you the author link. And if you're interested in that, uh, mention in the form you fill out that uh, you heard about it through the show. And that's all I've got. Okay, and uh, this week I will recommend a book that I just finished uh, called Flu, the story of the great influenza pandemic of 1918, because what better way to spend your leisure time than reading about a pandemic that killed people? Um, it was actually, it's a, it's a fascinating book. There are actually two books on the subject, so now I'm about to start the second one. But this book, uh, this is by Gina Collada, who was, is a biology reporter, science reporter, for the New York Times for many, many years. And it describes, it spends actually very little time describing the flu itself and a ton of time describing how scientists over the 70 years following um, figured out and sequenced the gene and what they did and all the crazy stuff they went through. Um, a non-book version of this, it turns out, was on a podcast that I listened to called Science Versus. Uh, where they basically told the story in radio form. And then they said, I was thinking, this sounds really like the book I'm reading. And at the end they said, by the way, a lot of this was taken from the following book. Um, also just mentioned amusingly that on the Amazon page for the flu book, they say people who bought this also bought a book called The End of Epidemics, published two years ago. Well, that was a, a poor, poorly chosen title. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, very... Uh, <laughs> not, not the right bet to make. <laughs> um, uh, great, great book, great podcast. Uh, definitely worth taking a look. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast in your podcast app of choice. And if you like the show, please leave us a review. Thanks for joining us. And we'll be back next week with the Business of Freelancing podcast.